you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. Communication is typically given as one of the top three reasons why couples decide to go to counseling. Spouses either don't talk, don't talk about much, or quickly break into conflict when they try to talk. How can two married people who often begin as good friends, who talked about everything until three in the morning when they were dating, not be able to communicate? What is it that is so unusually difficult about marital communication? I've had wives say to me, he talks all day to his friends and co-workers, but not to me. I've had husbands say, I can talk to other women so easily, but not my wife. Then throw in the latest technological advancements, enabling husband and wife to do most of their communication through texting and emailing, even while they're in the same house. Some couples choose to spend so much time on social media, they use up all their time to talk with their spouses on all their interactions with their friends. The truth is that no one is natural at marriage communication. Because of the intimacy involved, it is a unique form of communication. Communicating with your spouse is a skill to be learned, a skill that must be learned for the marriage to survive and to thrive. And even though there are literally thousands of books that will teach you techniques on how to be a better communicator, these will not be helpful without a grounding in the gospel and in biblical principles. The Bible has more to say about our words and talking and listening than nearly any other subject. So I want you to stop and think about your marital communication for a moment. What aspects are working? How often are you talking with and listening to your spouse? Where are you struggling the most? Without healthy biblical marriage communication, there can be no real friendship, no real intimacy, and little that glorifies God in your marriage. A couple who is just existing and living separately in the same house is not fulfilling God's design for marriage. And the fact is, not being able to communicate with the person who is supposed to be the most important person in your life is just plain discouraging and frustrating. Spouses should almost not be able to wait to see each other again and share their day and their hearts to reconnect to each other by talking and listening. But unfortunately for many couples, this is just not the case. So let's take some time and dig down deep into our marital communication struggles. As we'll be discussed more in a moment, we need to have better conversation, not just communication. We need to be the best talkers and listeners in our marriage. We'll begin with four foundational marital communication facts. So here we go. Fact number one, we communicate all the time. Even if you and your spouse don't talk that much, you are communicating I would even go so far to say that even if it were possible to never say a word, you are still communicating. 
Your body language, your facial expressions, even silence communicates something. One roll of the eyes, a defiant glare, is worth a thousand words. So in marriage, you cannot not communicate. Fact number two, communication is a gift from the Lord. As human beings, we have been created to be rational creatures who communicate with one another. God communicates with his people through his word, his spirit, and his creation. By his goodness and grace, he allows his people to communicate in order to have relationship. And that necessarily means that he sets the rules for how we are to communicate the best. Fact number three, what we really need in marriage is not just better communication, but better conversation. I mentioned this in the introduction. So what is conversation? Simply defined, conversation is the act of talking and listening. One person talks while the other person listens. Then the other person talks and is listened to. Back and forth we go in marital conversation. Thus, in marriage, we must work on how we speak and how we listen. Unfortunately, we typically fail on both points. And as we'll see in a moment, typically more conversation is needed. You must have more conversation to have better conversation. Fact number four, communication is the lifeblood of the marriage. To illustrate this fact, think about how strange it would be if a Christian would say to you, I'm a Christian, but I never read the Bible and I never pray. That would be odd, wouldn't it? Because when we read the Bible, God speaks to us. And when we pray, we speak to God, talking and listening, conversation between God and me. So if prayer and Bible reading are the lifeblood of the Christian life, it should make sense that conversation is the lifeblood of the marriage. It connects us to one another. A marriage without good biblical communication and conversation is a marriage that is not growing. It is a marriage that is dying. It is a marriage that does not have good blood flow. Just as the Christian life without prayer and Bible reading would not live. So those are four facts to get us started. On that foundation, let's continue by confronting the barriers to biblical marital communication. It's essential to know the barriers first so we can learn to deal with our own problems and sin habits. The first barrier is self-centeredness. When Bill gets home from work, Annie is ready to talk. Unfortunately, because Bill is a man of few words, he can't get a word in edgewise. So Annie tends to dominate the conversation. She often feels good to be able to vent her frustrating day with her kids. But she complains that Bill is always just sitting there, not listening to her. Well, this is a good example of how we demonstrate our self-centeredness by either not listening to our spouse or by dominating the conversation. The first question to Annie is, why are you talking so much? Is it just to meet your own need to vent or just the need to be heard? Why are you not more interested in what Bill has to say? Or maybe she is, but she just ends up thinking about self more. And then the question to Bill, why are you not listening well? 
Is your mind more on self than it is on Annie? Is what is on her mind important to you at all? Marital conversation should not be self-centered. It should be all about building a relationship to show love and grace to our spouse. Listen to Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. The words from our mouths are meant to impart grace, to build the other person up, to benefit the listener who should be listening. This is not a selfish motive. It is the exact opposite. The greatest self-centeredness is willfully choosing to not maintain conversation with your spouse for whatever reason. Second barrier is laziness. Enough said. This goes right along with self-centeredness. Bill may be just too lazy to listen. Annie may be too lazy to seek ways to draw out what is on Bill's heart and mind. Laziness in marital communication is always a heart problem. It demonstrates that the relationship is not that important to you. Somehow you think it will bump along just fine without the effort of conversation, the lifeblood of the marriage. It takes effort and work to carry on a grace-giving marriage conversation. When we avoid it or give it a halfway effort, it demonstrates where our heart really is. Barrier number three, fatigue. After a long day of work or watching children or housekeeping, etc., who has the energy to talk and to listen? Bill's work certainly takes a lot out of him. He is always talking to clients, on the phone, solving problems, etc. Annie homeschools the kids and volunteers at church and does other community efforts. She is really on the go. As a natural talker, she seems to have the energy to talk. But maybe she is just on autopilot in her talking, too fatigued to have real conversation. Marital conversation does take energy. And here's a hint. You actually need to be awake in order to talk and listen. So proper priorities, ample rest is needed. Don't use fatigue as an excuse since conversation is your primary task in marriage. Barrier number four is busyness. Another oft-used excuse in marriage. We are just too busy to talk. Again, what are your priorities? What is most important? Many couples like Bill and Annie are often too child-centered, so the busyness of their children simply subtracts from their conversation time. Also, to most couples, conversation and discussion are things to do only if they have extra time, not as the most important part of their marriage. Or sometimes couples become pragmatic talkers, talking about items like they are in a business meeting. What's for dinner? What's our schedule? Who has a ball game this week? This becomes the entirety of their conversation. Christian couples must make time to talk if we believe it is the lifeblood of the marriage. And that talk must not just be pragmatic talk either. A fifth barrier to conversation is anger, bitterness, and unforgiveness. A spouse may be exacting revenge by refusing to communicate. Or communication quickly becomes conflict where we get angry and blow up at one another 
derailing the conversation. Or deep-seated unforgiveness makes our conversation biting and filled with conflict. It is virtually impossible to have good conversation when we are carrying sinful anger or bitterness around in our hearts. So couples end up making their conversation very surface because of all the hurt and unforgiveness. Finally, there's the barrier of fear. Connie has become afraid of telling Dan anything of importance since he tends to blow up so quickly about it. So afraid of his reactions, she either withholds vital information or sometimes even lies. Then there's the fear of reprisal from the other spouse. What if what I tell him is used against me later on? And some spouses are just afraid to expose themselves in conversation. Intimate marital communication is supposed to be about sharing my deepest feelings and most important thoughts. But what if I'm afraid to trust you? Yet love is the opposite of fear, and love is needed for conversation. As we read in 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. When we are afraid, we cannot communicate. When there is fear in marriage, we will not have loving conversation. We must get rid of that fear. Now, there are many other barriers to biblical marital communication, including all the communication no-nos. We know what they are, right? Things like threats, manipulative words, cursing, sarcastic speech, abusive words, saying always and never. We know these are wrong and ineffective. We must keep our tongues in check or good biblical conversation will be impeded. Now let's get to the heart of the matter of our marital communication, or better said, our marital conversation. I like to call these the eight grace-based rules for marital communication. As I already mentioned, God sets the rules for our communication. There is more said about communication in Scripture than just about any other topic. And these rules should be thought of not just as legalistic rules, but gracious ways to build healthy patterns of conversation. Not to mention the fact that you will need God's grace to communicate well. I found these eight rules to be very helpful in my own marriage as well as the hundreds of couples I have counseled through the years. Now be warned, these rules will mean active, hard work, hopefully depending on the sanctifying work of the Spirit in your life. So here we go. My first rule for marriage communication is called the quantity rule. Question, how much time do you think the average couple spends talking in an average week? Go ahead, just shout out your answer. Remember, there are a lot of hours in a week. Of course, there are all sorts of variables here. And do we include text and email as communication? Well, one survey suggests that the average couple only spends a little bit less than 30 minutes a day with each other. How much of that time do they actually talk about anything significant? Believe it or not, a survey I 
read several years ago, offered that the average couple spends about 17 minutes a week in true marital conversation. Then there was a researcher who claims that one in 10 couples only talk by text or email. That will probably only increase in years to come. The point is that couples do not have a lot or give a lot of time to marital conversation for all the reasons we listed earlier. So think about how much time you realistically spend each week. Now I'll make my most important statement about communication here, and typically the one that seems to be the most objectionable. Here it is. Your marriage needs 12 to 15 hours a week of conversation in order to be healthy. Yes, not just 17 minutes a week, not even 30 minutes a day, 12 to 15 hours a week. Yes, that's nearly two hours a day, not just 30 minutes a day. If you disagree with me, what amount of time then is necessary in your estimation? What is the minimum that is required to maintain intimacy, love, respect, understanding in your marriage? How much time is required to have adequate knowledge of your spouse? Let me be clear. We must not set this rule by how much time I have to spare. That shows the low priority marriage often has. Instead, we must set the time by how much the marriage needs. The fact is you will not have quality communication without quantity communication. Often, people fight a lot because they don't talk enough, or sometimes they aren't close enough because they don't talk enough. Will you carve out time just to talk? It makes a big difference. Talking in larger quantities at least 12 to 15 hours a week will build up what I call a conflict cushion that will help dramatically when it comes to solving problems, making decisions, etc., If 12 to 15 hours a week sounds like it is too much, why is that? Do we not have that amount of time in our daily or weekly schedule? Do we not have that much to talk about? Do we not think it is the lifeblood of the marriage? Whatever is the case, start with how much you talk now and gradually increase it and try to get to that 12 to 15 hours. Rule number two. I call the honesty rule. Barney and Betty have been married for 19 years. Betty has become increasingly frustrated with their lack of communication. Barney has no idea what she's talking about. We talk all the time. Maybe not 12 to 15 hours a week, but we talk a lot. Betty accuses Barney of not being honest with her. Again, he pushes back. I have never lied to you in my life. What's going on here? The first question is, can you have a good relationship without honest communication? When there is suspicion of dishonesty, trust breaks down and the marriage will suffer, right? But the next question is equally important. Can you be honest but not open? That's what's going on with Barney and Betty. He's not being very open with Betty. Openness is as necessary as honesty. We can be honest, but not share important information. We can be honest and not say a word. So is there ever a time when you should not be honest with your spouse? As we've said already, sometimes spouses keep things from each other 
so the other person won't get hurt, angry, blow up, get worried, etc. Is this ever good? When exactly? Dishonesty and the lack of openness ends up basing the marriage on fear or manipulation instead of love. So you must be honest and open and let your spouse's response be their response. Here are four quick biblical guidelines for being honest and open that should sound familiar. Ask yourself these things before you speak. First, is it really true? Do I really have the facts? Second, is my attitude right? Third, will it be profitable to speak the truth here? And fourth, am I speaking the truth in love? Being honest and open in our communication is at the heart of a grace-based marriage. It is a great risk, though. It makes you vulnerable to pain and hurt. Yet it will allow the possibility of closeness and intimacy. Rule number three, the self-control rule. When Fred gets angry, he can say some very hurtful things to Wilma. Even when he isn't especially angry, his words can be condemning and threatening. When confronted, Fred just says he is speaking his mind and telling the truth. He says Wilma should understand that he loves her, even if his words aren't loving. When pressed further, he admits that he finds it hard to control his tongue. Fred agrees with the Apostle James, who says that the tongue is a raging fire, the hardest thing to control on earth. Yet, Christians are called to control our tongues, and this is especially true when speaking to our spouse. In order to control our tongues, we must do the following things regarding marital communication. First, we must control our anger. Second, we must control our anxiety. Third, we must control our attitudes. Fourth, we must control all of our emotions and our thoughts. And finally, we must control even our body language. So why do we tend to lose self-control in our communication with our spouse? Of course, there are many reasons. A lack of love, or we're often just too comfortable with our spouse, or we use our tongues to control rather than control our tongues. What can we do about it? Of course, one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So Christians must be led by the Spirit in our marital conversation. It takes prayer and growing in God's Word. Think about this. Would Fred control his tongue if the President of the United States was in his living room? Even if he hated the President or was angry about one of his policies? I think so. Why are we able to control our tongues for most other people than when speaking to our spouses? The fourth grace-based rule is this, the peacemaker rule. Fred needs to remember one of the most important goals of communication, to be peaceful or to make peace. As we talked about in another podcast, don't we like peace in marriage? Remember Romans 14, 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Christians are called to be peacemakers. According to this verse, it is linked to edifying or building up one another. A great way to make peace with another is to speak words of grace, words of encouragement. But we must also understand the difference between real peace 
and just surface peace. Surface peace in marriage is just sweeping things under the rug. It actually avoids true conversation and resolution. It is temporary until stressful things build up again. Surface peace is really the avoidance of true peace. Real peace, real biblical peace comes with a price, open and honest communication, and it is much more long-standing because of it. So how do you make peace? Well, now we'll cover conflict resolution in our next podcast. But for now, ask yourself, do you edify your spouse? Do you talk through problems? Or do you capitulate and make surface peace? Or do you withhold truth and again have surface peace? Now, one subsidiary rule of the peacemaker rule is take a break when needed. Allow the other person to retreat, regroup, and rethink and come together again. In other words, don't always force the conversation like I try to do. Yet don't take a permanent break. Come back as a couple and talk again. This will help in the peacemaking process. So always ask yourself, how can I be a peacemaker in my marriage? The fifth rule of marital conversation is the I rule. That is capital I, not E-Y-E-I. It is essential to discipline your conversation to speak in the first person, especially during conflict. This means avoiding you communication. You dot 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 usually starts an attack or at least feels like an attack. Additionally, we must avoid starting with you always dot 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 or you never dot dot dot. Instead, speak in I terms. Express what you think and how you feel. So how then do you point out a problem in the other person while keeping the I rule? In other words, how do you confront well in your conversation? One good system I learned years ago, five simple words. When you, I feel, because. Here's an example. When you ran over my dog, I became very angry because I love that dog. Yes, there's a you used in there, but the focus is on how I feel and what I did about that. This is much better than saying to your spouse, you idiot, you deliberately killed my dog because you don't love me. It's better than just saying you are a blankety blank or you hurt my feelings. Sticking with I communication keeps you from making harsh and even untrue accusations. Also, Communicate clearly what you think, what you feel, not mind reading the other person, presuming what your spouse is thinking. Here's a quick mind reading example. You did that because you don't love me. Never assume you know what is in your spouse's mind or heart. That conversation will never end well. A grace-based marriage sticks with I communication, not the attacking you communication. Rule number six, the listen first rule. James 1.19 says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. 
Nothing is more important in communication than good listening. But good listening skills are not natural. It's a myth that some people are just born listeners. We're all poor at it because of our selfishness, our laziness, our distractions, all of those barriers we talked about earlier. So what are some good listening skills? Let me just mention a few here and we'll talk about more another time. First, watch your body language. It says a lot. Second, appropriate touch is helpful to really connect. It will help you listen better. Third, repeat back what was said. Summarize what was said. Fourth, eye contact. You should know how important that is. Finally, empathy. When you connect emotionally to your spouse, you will listen better to your spouse. So how do you develop these listening habits? Well, for one thing, quantity communication will help. Practice, practice, practice those 12 to 15 hours a week. Good listening brings good understanding. Good listening skills show your love for your spouse. Listen more. Talk less. Then there's the next rule of marital communication I call the talk first rule. Now, understandably, this may sound like a strange rule considering our last one. Well, it could also be called the don't ask so many questions rule, but that's a little bit more cumbersome. There's not an explicit principle in Scripture for this one, but it goes to the heart motive we should have in marriage communication. So here's the rule. To start good conversation, talk first. Don't lead with so many questions. An illustration. What response do you think Jackie gets from Jerry when she asks him every single day when he comes home from work, how was your day? He says, okay, or fine. Or good. He only gives one-word answers. Then she follows up with another question. Did anything exciting happen? No, not really. If Jerry is still not talking, she may keep firing questions at him until it starts to sound like an interrogation. Here's a better approach for getting good marital conversation going. Talk first. Jackie should let Jerry get settled in and then begin with, Hey, let me tell you what happened to me today, and then tell some of her stories of what went on in her life. Hopefully, this is followed by Jerry telling a story of his own. And then look what we have. We have conversation. Of course, as I said earlier, one spouse shouldn't dominate the conversation. But there's something about the dynamic in conversation that if you talk first, instead of ask questions first, conversation starts to flow. But husbands, this means that you must be ready to talk when you get home. Don't wait to be asked. Share. You know your wife wants to know when she sees you again. This is what I call connect time. It is directly related to intimacy. Another reason this rule should be followed, people tend to hate being questioned. Even in marriage, like we said earlier, it tends to feel like an interrogation. The question-answer form of communication is just not the best form of marital conversation. Well, then here's a final rule for marital conversation. We'll call it the grace rule. This is the rule which should top all the other rules. Do we talk to and listen to our spouse as we want to be talked to and listened to?
Or in other words, do we have conversation from a heart of grace? Here are just a few gracious suggestions as we finish up for today. First, stay light on the questions, as we just mentioned. Second, share information you know your spouse wants to hear and needs to hear. Third, be liberal with praise. Fourth, be courteous in your speech. Fifth, be respectful as well. Sixth, don't jump to conclusions. And finally, speak the truth in love. We show grace in our words to our spouses because of God's grace to us. Now, volumes and volumes have been written about communication, especially marital communication. It's really not that complicated when you follow God's way and you operate from a covenant of grace. Yet marital communication is so difficult because we are sinners who have to live with each other and need to be sanctified. So continue to glorify God in your conversations. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.